And that leads us with assembly debate and discussion. Mr. Roberts is going to lead us off. Welcome to Far North Dokers. This is episode 68, November 5th, 2017. Your host, Nick Toker. Thank you all for listening. Do you all remember the 5th of November? Last week's show, public comment, on-site consumption, Fairbanks North Star Borough. This week, we get to hear from our masters. Hear how they, what they have to say. They're the ones deciding anyway. They give us this show to let us come down and speak our mind, but are they listening? Do they already make up their mind? Next week, AMCO Cannabis Control Board meeting, November 14th and 15th, they will be discussing on-site consumption. Might not even matter what the borough has to say. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes and his companions did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels lay below to prove old England's overthrow, but by God's providence him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James' sake. If you won't give me one, I'll take two. The better for me, and the worse for you. A rope, a rope to hang the Pope. A pennyworth of cheese to choke him. A pint of beer to wash it down. And a jolly good fire to burn him. Hollow a boys, hollow a boys, make the bells ring. Hollow a boys, hollow a boys, God save the king! Hip hip hooray! Well, um, there's a lot to say about this. So, first I want to mention head-on what I consider kind of a myth that's being put out, that this is only about um, expressing some regulation changes. You know, on the face of it, that's what it does. But if you look at the language here, the regulations should contain – the regulations should contain – they're basically stating that we want these regulations. We just want them to be different. And so my opinion is, and what I will give all my testimony on, is that we should say no. <laughs> we don't want these regulations. And if you wanted to say we don't want these regulations, but if you were going to have them, this should be changed, something like that. This is basically an implicit approval asking for a few changes. And, I mean, I think most of those changes are good. Um, and necessary, mostly because the regulations are so bad to start with. Um, and so some of these uh, point out some good things. You know, you can't protect people from smoke, as has been pointed out. There is just no way to protect them from the secondhand smoke. There isn't good enough ventilation out there. Um, so to start with, um, of course, I'm going to reiterate some of what's already been said in uh, public testimony. But the 2014 initiative didn't allow this. This is not what anybody voted on. Uh, This is not what was put in front of the voters. They voted for four specific license types which were laid out. And uh, the legislature didn't add this in. They haven't um, passed any legislation adding in new license types or or any type of on-site consumption. Uh, This is something completely being done by a board. 
and so boards are pretty powerful in our state and they can put forth some strong regulations and and it's hard to stop them because the lieutenant governor can't even stop their regulations. Uh, you really have to go to court and stop them. And so I think it's really sad that the Marijuana Control Board has decided to take this tack and it's just the way it ended up. We ended up with an industry-controlled Marijuana Control Board as we've seen. And Let's just take a look at that comment, industry-controlled. Here's a press release from July 1st, 2015. Governor Walker appoints Marijuana Control Board. I am pleased to announce these five appointees to the Marijuana Control Board, Governor Walker said. They bring with them decades of experience in public health, business development, and rural issues. With their different backgrounds and diverse skill sets, they will help shepherd in regulations for this new industry. Furthermore, we'll be implementing the new board in an extremely cost-conscious way. We're utilizing existing staff to support the board and will only be hiring a small number of new positions. Appointed to fill the public safety seat is Peter Malarnik of Soldatna. Mr. Malarnik was has been the chief of police in Soldatna since 2012. Prior to joining the city of Soldatna, he spent over 20 years with the Alaska State Troopers. His years in Alaska law enforcement makes him exceptionally qualified to understand the public safety issues associated with this developing industry. Appointing the public health seat is Lauren Jones of Juneau. Mr. Jones is currently a city and borough of Juneau assembly member, has a long history in the substance abuse and mental health areas. He has also served as the director of the Alaska Division of Alcoholism and Drug Abuse. Mark Springer from Bethel was appointed to the rural seat. Mr. Springer has been an Alaska resident since 1976 and is recognized for his local government work in several rural Alaskan communities. He is a current member of the Bethel City Council and is active with the Alaska Municipal League. Next, appointed to the two industry seats are Bruce Schulte from Anchorage and Brandon Emmett from Fairbanks. Bruce Schulte later was exited mm -hmm. by Governor Walker. Per HB 123, the governor needs to select two people for the initial appointments to the Marijuana Control Board with experience in the marijuana industry. Two out of five does not sound dominating. This experience can be obtained through lawful participation in the marijuana industry or participation in an academic or advocacy role relating to the marijuana industry. Mr. Schulte has been a spokesman for both the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol and the Coalition for Responsible Cannabis Legislation. He served as a trusted information source to the Alaska Legislature during the 29th legislative session and regularly provided testimony on multiple pieces of marijuana legislation. As a commercial pilot and registered architect, Mr. Schulte is familiar with highly regulated trades. And we got rid of him. Mr. Emmett has been involved in the legalization movement here in Alaska as the executive director for the Coalition for Responsible Cannabis Legislation. He is also actively involved with the cannabis, the Fairbanks North Star Borough of Mayor's Marijuana Work Group. He and his organization have worked tirelessly with state civic leaders to responsibly shape this new burgeoning industry. Okay, we lost Bruce Schulte. He was an industry member, remember? And that seat should have been replaced with an industry member. And it was. Press release, August 24, 2016. Governor Walker appoints Nicholas Miller to the CCB. Governor Bill Walker announced today his appointment of Nicholas Miller to the Marijuana Control Board. Nick Miller of Anchorage was appointed as an industry representative to the Marijuana Control Board and fills the seat previously held by Bruce Schulte. Mr. Miller is in the process of opening a retail marijuana business in Anchorage and is the current chair of the Anchorage Cannabis Business Association. This association's membership consists of those in the process of filing for state and local licensing to opening cannabis-related businesses. The goal of this association is to provide two-way communication between industry participants and the government officials of agencies. Governor Walker commented, I'm very pleased to appoint Nick to the Marijuana Control Board. 
during this critical time in the new industry's development. Nick will do a great job complementing existing Alaska marijuana industry associations represented on the board and enable even broader industry perspective. His appointment runs through February 28th, 2018. Again, two out of five, that is not dominating, Lance. Um, looking at bringing this, which just has, there's just, there's just no reasonable basis for bringing forward regulations like this with the kind of problems that this can cause. So we've already talked about the secondhand smoke. Oh, also, it's in that same 2014 initiative that people voted for. It's illegal to smoke pot in public. It includes public buildings, includes outdoors. I mean, it's that's a pretty broad definition. It means you can do it in your home. That's what it means. You know, 2014 initiative gave people the right to smoke it in their home and to possess it, transport it, um, buy it, but um, not to go consume it somewhere else. We learned our lesson before with alcohol, and we separate these places. They're not even regulating it like alcohol. In alcohol, you've got separate places. Package stores are different than places you go consume. Um, even uh, in America, they're not really doing this. Uh, you know, they do it, but even in Amsterdam, they've got regulations, uh, and they're making them stronger to stop what's been going on because it, it's been getting out of hand. Uh, regulations that we don't even have, for example, there, if you have over 15 percent THC, they consider it hard drugs. It's a completely different category. We have no limits here. And they have places in Colorado doing 100 percent in their um, concentrates. So uh, that can have quite an effect on people. So uh, one of the things that are in the regulations that is addressed in this resolution is the fact that they're saying it's okay to do it outdoors. What? They're not going to let you smoke it outdoors? Oh, man, Lance. Come on! Um, so as many of you know from this past campaign, there are a lot of these places right next to or in neighborhoods. They're right there, and now they're going to be smoking outdoors uh, next to these neighborhoods. Uh, that, by the way, these places can be open until 5 in the morning, remember. This isn't just a come-by-in-the-daytime thing or something. This is uh, all night long. So right now, it's completely legal to go outside in your yard and smoke up. You can have a party. People can be over there smoking up, blowing wherever. I, so I don't understand that point. Next point. He keeps kind of reminding people they can be open until 5 in the morning, remember. No one, no store is open right now until 5 in the morning. They can be, but they're not. The latest one, midnight, two nights a week. Most of them are early evening. <sighs> fear-mongering again. Um, I'll talk about that later. So somebody, I think one person actually brought up that you could have a designated driver. Well, no, that's the difference between alcohol and marijuana. A prime difference is the delivery system used, okay? Smoking is much different than a drink. A drink is contained. One person can consume it. Smoke affects people. Uh, the director of health or whatever his position is for the state this summer at the UAF summer sessions did a presentation on the health effects of marijuana and pointed out um, that there's a um, uh, measurable amount of THC in people who get it secondhand. He had numbers up there in the graph and all that. Now Lance is right here. There is some secondhand smoke, but so minimal. And these tests were done in non-ventilated rooms, close contact. If you're sitting in a car with three people smoking on a joint and you're not smoking, windows are rolled up, 
you could possibly get a contact high. That's your own responsibility. What else is there to be said about that? Levels were detected in people so low that they do not even hardly measure. They will not make you fail a drug test. More fear-mongering. So it, it's not a nothing. It does affect people, and especially if you think about if it's somebody who doesn't consume, maybe that's why they're the designated driver. Well, now that little bit could be enough for them because they're not even used to it. I mean, there's no range of moderation, but you know, people aren't even used to it all. It could be quite a different experience for them. Um, One of the points Lance likes to bring up all the time is there's no range in moderation with cannabis. That if you take one hit, you're going to be just as stoned as you are uh, much later. Or that there's no range with uh, experience, body fat, any of those things. And then right here in his argument, he says, um, he brings it up and then he points again that this person is going to get higher because they've never gotten high before. No range in moderation. That's most of the reasons. Basically, this is going to uh, be an experiment that we're going to try. We're not going to wait to see what happens elsewhere and figure it out and try to make good rules based on all that. We're just going to, like, do an experiment. Again, another one of the classic Lance points is we're doing an experiment here in Alaska. Let's wait for everyone else. Why not let's do it and let's do it right? Let's talk about it. Let's get this right. Let's be the example. Let's be the role models in Alaska. Let's not be followers. What do we care what they're doing? They're going to do it wrong anyway. Let's do it right in Alaska. Now, it's actually not that much of an experiment, actually, because we did this once in America back in the 19th century. They were called opium dens, and they're, they're gone now because they weren't a good thing. We did learn a lesson, and I guess history is repeating itself, and now maybe we'll have to learn that lesson again. But... Um, Really? Cannabis is not opium? Opium is not cannabis. These establishments are not going to be positive things, and if we have any resolution, it should be one saying, we don't want it, let's not be the experiment, don't make rules the people didn't vote for, and just wait and see what happens, gather data. You know, it's obviously going to be here to stay for a while, so we'll have plenty of time to see how it affects without these places and... As one testifier pointed out, other states may implement it, and we can watch them and see what they do and, and see from their mistakes. We've seen plenty of other mistakes from the other states that have legalized before us and lots of bad stats out there. If you want to go study it, you'll be overwhelmed with stats. Um, but anyway, I'm asking everyone to vote no on this resolution because I don't think it's appropriate for us to support any level of um, regulations uh, dealing with on-site consumption. Thank you. Mr. Cooper. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all the testimony tonight. And just one thing I want to reiterate and perhaps disagree with Mr. Roberts on a little bit is that this somehow approves or disapproves of on-site consumption. I think from, from my perspective, the concern I have is that... Let's listen carefully to Matt Cooper here. He thinks himself quite the clever guy. He's the one that took Andrew Gray's resolution and really attacked it the first time around, and he recreates it into this. He thinks he's quite clever. Uh, you know, the boroughs left naked um, 
if it doesn't provide some input because I don't think that this assembly is likely to, um, you know, adopt a resolution uh, outright supporting uh, on-site consumption has proved the last time this resolution came up, and I think it's highly unlikely this assembly it would, would approve a resolution outright, outright uh, asking for prohibition of on-site consumption. So in that context, it's, it makes sense to me that we should look at the areas where we have concerns, the things that we've heard from folks who've testified and come before us over the months and years about the effects of marijuana, and at least offer those to the Marijuana Control Board as something to consider, because otherwise our voice isn't heard at all. And so I guess as a counterpoint to, to Mr. Roberts' point, uh, you know, remaining silent on these things isn't going to do us any good. Hey, Mr. Cooper is absolutely correct here. I'm so happy he's being proactive. Let's just be a little bit more pro. And if the Marijuana Control Board does adopt regulations, I don't know if they will or not. They, I'm certain that they've heard from lots of people over the state, both pro and con on this issue. And who knows what they'll do. But if they do adopt regulations, it should be with some input. And I think from some input from us, who have heard a lot from all of those out in the public about what their concerns are. And so, um, you know, I, I guess I, I fundamentally disagree that it's an implicit uh, endorsement of on-site consumption so much as it is an opportunity to make sure that if those regulations are adopted that there is strong local control. And really that's what it comes down to, I think, for me, is that this is an issue that should be decided locally. Did you hear that? He believes it should be decided locally. I believe that too. Also, part of regs that CCB is posting is giving local control through local government, through ordinance. I expect to see Matt Cooper put an ordinance in banning on-site consumption. Watch for it. Uh, I, I don't want vagueness in the regulations so that, uh, that we don't have a say on how on-site consumption is instituted in the Fairbanks North Star Borough if it is. That is a policy decision that will come to us down the road if the state adopts these regulations. We're not there yet. But if they do, I think it would be a mistake at least not to have our voice heard. Said, Mr. Tacky. Thank you, Ms. Dodge. Um, I kind of have a question for the attorney um, in regards to Alaska statutes. I think the way ballot measure two was written was that there is local control. We can have any additional regulations or rules put on these businesses that we would, without having to be specified in the regulations that the board passes. Uh, we do have local control, but that statute's been amended so that it's non-area-wide. But you can do time, place, and manner regulations. Time, place, and manner refers to when, where, and how. We're going to leave it all up to them. When you can do it, where you can do it, how you can do it. Hmm. Okay. And so that would lead me to wonder if number one and two would even be necessary on our resolution since we would be able to have manner and control of what is permitted at a retail establishment, which is just an on-site endorsement for retail establishments. I, I agree. I think it's maybe unnecessary. However, in parts of the regulations, they do have language regarding local control. So I think it was a general statement of clarification, but I'll defer to the sponsors as to their intent on that one. Okay, then to the sponsors. 
you wish from my perspective that's correct i think that because the regulations talked about local control and talked about local control inconsistently within various portions of the regulations it was important to emphasize that it needs to be consistent and needs to emphasize local control I'm going to move to amend. I want to remove number six um, regarding whether outdoor consumption by inhalation should be permitted given the potential conflicts with adjoining property owners over odor mitigation. And uh, the justification for that would be that individuals already who are permitted to consume on their own personal property, they are actually allowed to do it outdoors. I could be on the very edge of my lot and smoking anything that comes over into another neighbor um, neighbor's property is not going to get them intoxicated in any way, shape, or form. The outdoor angle of it dissipating so quickly is actually a better situation than actually having everyone locked in a room together if your concern was secondhand um, inhalation of cannabis smoke. And so I think that keeping outdoor consumption available for these um, retail establishments is a better consideration. should let that go. Okay, so I have Mr. Robert. Yeah, so I would like to point out that it doesn't say because we're worried about the kids getting stoned next door. It's because we're worried about odor mitigation. And so however fast it dissipates, I can tell you as somebody who lives next to somebody who <laughs> who implements that rule that it doesn't stop odor. So I would just like to point that out that, that that's what this is talking about is odor. And I'm pretty sure odor mitigation – talking about cultivation not talking about the consumption of cannabis mr cooper and i'll just note i mean I, I, and this one was one i think that it's worded a little bit carefully and that it's suggesting the amcv consider that as an issue as opposed to trying to prohibit outdoor consumption but just to take into account that that's been an issue locally that people have talked to us about has been odor mr quist Thank you. Well, um, in response to Mr. Cooper's statement, I mean, the way I read this, it seems like it's calling for the AMCB to consider prohibition of, uh, you know, consumption by out inhalation outdoors. Am I reading it correctly? I guess that's to the sponsor. I guess my, my intent would be that they consider the issue to look at both sides of it. So, and if I could follow up then. So, I mean, I, I would speak in support of the amendment uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I think that these kinds of potential conflicts are exactly the kinds of things that we should be addressing here at the assembly level. And it's something that um, I think that we need to address, not just in terms of, of consumption, but also, I mean, it, it's been an issue with cultivation. I think it's something that's also not just confined to this industry. I think there are many industries that make odors um, and that we need to figure out how to be neighborly, you know, with with commercial entities and residences. So that's to the odor issue. Great point, Quist. Let's just be neighborly, huh? The libertarian way. We do not need to use government as a weapon. Also, I would say that when you prohibit people from smoking outdoors, that means it's going to happen inside, and um, and that's a, a less safe way to uh, for it to be consumed because 
you know, if it's outdoors, it will dissipate. So, I mean, we've, we are moving, I think, in general uh, as, <clears throat> as a society away from, you know, indoor smoking uh, of, you know, multiple kinds of drugs. Um, and I think that, you know, if that really only leaves outdoor, I guess. So I would, you know, speak against considering prohibiting outdoor consumption by inhalation. Thank you. Mr. Davies, you're next. I think my question was already dealt with. Okay, thank you. Mr. Gray? Mine was too. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Roberts. So I'd like to mend line 55 after um, regulate, put the words or prevent, without knowing all the intricacies of the statute involved here, I want to make sure that if this assembly decides they can say no to on-site consumption and not just regulate it, but to go that full length of being able to say no. All the local municipalities should have that option. Because since it's not a license type, which is how the statute is set up, um, I want to make sure that with their extra little add-on that we're still able to um, implement that uh, prevention. Yes, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, I move to amend the amendment to provide to replace prevent with prohibit. No objection. No, I don't care. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that bar crosses. Now let's vote on the proposed amended amendment, or the amendment as amended. Mr. Quist? Yes. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Tacky? No. Mr. Cooper? Yes. Mr. Satley? Yes. Mr. Roberts? Yes. Mr. Davies? No. Mr. Lawrence? Yes. Ms. Dodge? Yes. Would anyone like to change their vote? Seeing none, it's approved. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Tacky? I guess I was going to ask about... Um, <clears throat> number three, and if the drafters had looked into the differences between tobacco smoke and cannabis smoke in relation to cancer-causing activities and the problems that are associated with secondhand smoke. Mr. Davies. I haven't personally looked into the exact differences with respect to that, but I just... Um, any, I th I, my sense is that we should be careful about it. Um, any kind of secondhand smoke. Period. That's just my my general concern, and I've and I, uh, you know, um, I've had quite a number of people um, who were active in the the anti-smoking regulations contact me in, in that regard. That that you know they're concerned about that. I um, you know we have a significant concern about PM two point five and. So my, my, the basis for my concern is largely based on that, about the, the dangers of any particle being ingested. Um, and and I, I'm not trying to suggest that somebody shouldn't smoke marijuana if they, want, if they choose to. I'm just saying that we need to be careful that that choice doesn't impact, impact on somebody else. And I'm just asking the board to consider that. And that's, at least that's the way I read this. Mr. Tacky? Um, so did it seem that it was uh, not strong enough based on having a separate room for employees in the regulations? Yes, it didn't seem strong enough. And it, it had a different space. To right. 
from my perspective, and I and I think you know even more importantly than that, we have this statewide initiative to to that we are a part of now by unanimously adopting a smoke-free workplace resolution. That you know, part of the intent here is to convey that to the AMCB as well. This is this is important to this borough. Mr. Davies, I have you next. Okay, just just generally, I you know that one of the issues that got raised several times was that you know there there is there aren't any uh, examples of alcohol places where you can consume on site, and that I just wanted to point out that that's simply not true because there are there are a number of places where. Uh, you know, microbreweries are, are produce on site, sell on site, and people consume there. Now, they have there are limitations as to how much you consume, and there's limitations on the hours. But that it's a it's a kind of equivalent to a wine tasting situation where you would go to a uh, a winery that grows the grapes and processes and bottles and and then tasting room and you can you can taste a certain amount on site um, so I, I I'm not saying that that necessarily I'm, I would support the idea that that would be the only way that that could go but I'm just saying that that's clearly an example of uh, uh, and uh, from the alcohol side of the uh, situation that uh, that there is uh, on-site consumption thank you mr. Davies for bringing this up been constant nag at my side that we keep talking about a tasting room. These are all about business models. It's whatever you want to do. People are allowed to on-site consume and it's up to the business to decide what's going to be happening in that setting. All these rules, man. Let business decide. Get out of the way. Jeez, and then they're talking about there's no examples of on-site consumption of alcohol. And, okay, you bring up um, microbrews and wine tastings. How about a bar? A bar? I have uh, Mr. Roberts next. Well, I was actually going to give up on my for former point, figured it was covered well enough, but I actually want to mention something on this, and I... Well, I've read through all those regs. I don't have them in front of me handy. But it seemed to me that the amount that they're allowing, if you look at how much marijuana it takes to um, get to a high state, it isn't that much. And the amount of marijuana they're selling is large compared to that amount, whereas the amount of alcohol they have in like a distillery, you know, for their samples is small compared to the amount it would take the uh, average person to um, get intoxicated. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. depends on what, what it is and body weight and all that. But I am saying that I don't think that they are um, tailoring the allowed amount to be purchased and sampled uh, based on those considerations to where it would only be a sample. Of course, as this assembly knows, I've maintained that there's almost no amount that you can consume and not reach that high because that's the difference between mind-altering drugs and alcohol. But um, I think even those who disagree with me would realize that it takes much less quantity of that to reach that state. 
and that the regulations are not taking that into account. Thanks. Another example of policymakers making policy for something they do not understand. You're going to be allowed to purchase a gram at a time. That means you're going to keep, be allowed to keep going back up. You're getting a gram if you like. Now, how many, a gram, sitting there smoking a gram joint, you're going to be high after that. Um, but you're probably going to be sitting there sharing it with somebody, right? That's the whole point of social consumption, the on-site consumption. Another thing, this edibles, they're going to let you have 10 milligrams. You're going to sit down and munch on that. Then what are you going to do for the two hour, three hours it takes to hit you? Oh, man, I don't know. Don't understand. Get out of the way. Let business decide. Get out of the way. So next I have Mr. Lawrence and then Mr. Quist. I don't have any, any technical expertise about chemicals, but I can, I can assure you that from my perspective, uh, alcohol is a mind-alterating drug, or, you know, most people wouldn't bother drinking it. And um, I agree with, with uh, that smoke-free workplace, uh, you know, resolution, and, and I'm in favor of that. But my, my recollection and understanding of the proposed uh, board, Marijuana Control Board proposed regulations would have those customers who are choosing to sample and therefore, you know, you know, obviously will be exposed to, to this, to, to, to the smoke that's in that room, uh, being observed by employees in a different room, I think looking through a window. So I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to totally eliminate problem, but I think the regs as they stand now addresses that issue. And, you know, obviously the people who, who choose to sample uh, are choosing to, uh, to to consume THC, you know, consume THC uh, through the air, you know, through their own lungs, and also the the secondhand smoke of the people they're smoking with. And so, uh, I'm in favor of smoke-free workplace, but not, but I think the marijuana control board uh, has shown that it's it's concerned about that and is uh, is addressing that issue. Uh, let's one other matter. Yes. Okay. Just in principle, I think I think regulated on-site consumption is 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 something that uh, is reasonable that, that the, the people of this state should be able to do. And the idea that you can only you should only be able to consume marijuana or inside your home, I think is uh, you know is absurd. When you can, when you think about where people can smoke cigarettes, people can consume alcohol. Uh, you know, I just, you know, it, it, there's no, there's no logical basis for that. So I have Mr. Quist, Mr. Tacky, and Mr. Davies. Mr. Sure. Quist. Mr. I'd Gray. like to move to amend on line 61 uh, to change the word "stronger" to the word "strong." So is there a second to changing the words on line 61, the words, I'm sorry, is there a second to changing the word stronger to strong on line 61? Mr. Davies, are you holding your hand up as a second or are you holding your hand up to speak oh, to things? Was there a second? I haven't heard a second yet. 
I'll, I'll second it. Okay, Mr. Lawrence has seconded it. So Mr. Quist has moved that we amend line 61 so that it reads the regulation should contain strong protections from cannabis smoke. And that's been seconded by Mr. Lawrence. And I think, Mr. Davies, do you have your hand up? Uh, Mr. Um, Quist, do you want to speak to the amendment? Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I chose to amend this here. I mean, my initial inclination was to move to entirely delete this because I, I really don't think it's necessary um, because the draft regulations currently contain very strong protections for workers. I mean, if, if this existed, you know, in the tobacco world, like if you could only smoke a cigarette in a bar in a separate room where the wait staff wasn't, um, I mean, it would be very different than the way we, we do business currently. So I think the draft regulations currently contain strong protections. I, I think strong protections are fine. I don't think that they need to be stronger. I don't know how much stronger it can possibly be. So, um, it, so that's why I'm choosing to amend it. I, you know, would be pos open to amendments to that amendment, though. Are there any? Is there any discussion on this amendment, a proposed amendment? It, it, it looks like. Is there any objection to this proposed amendment? Yeah. Well, Mr. Roberts is objecting. Okay. Um, is there further discussion on this proposed amendment? Yes, I'll speak. Yes, to Mr. It. Roberts. Um, I think we need to send a strong message, and that means using the word stronger, to make sure that they get what's really important to us. Um, you know, he mentioned about the current situation. Well, we voted for that current situation to change when we voted for this smoke-free resolution. That situation will go away if that ever passes at the state level. And so um, – uh, I think we need to have this language as strong as possible. And so I would say uh, let's not vote for this amendment. Okay. Anyone else on this amendment? Yes, Mr. Davies. I, I just want to uh, support it. I, I think that um, it, it, I, I take the criticism that it doesn't necessarily need to be stronger than uh, the, the uh, smoke-free workplace protections. So I think – which are pretty strong, and and also given that there are some attempts within the proposed regulations to uh, to be to be mindful of that, I think that the reason why I would argue strongly to keep this in here, though, as as potentially amended, uh, would be to make sure that that when the final regu regulations come out, that they don't backslide. Any further discussion on the proposed amendment? Are we ready to vote? I think we are, Clerk. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Cooper? Yes. Mr. Satley? Yes. Mr. Quist? Yes. Mr. Davies? Yes. Mr. Roberts? No. Mr. Tacky? Yes. Mr. Lawrence? Yes. Ms. Dodge? Yes. Would anyone like to change their vote? Seeing none, one. It, it is adopted 8-1. We are back to my list. Um, and Mr. Quist, are you done on my? Was the amendment I have, I do would like to make just one kind of general comment on this topic of of on-site consumption as it you know compares to alcohol establishments. The point was made earlier that there are places that you can go where you can purchase a sample, which might be up to like two pints of beer or two you know shots of gin, and you can consume them on site. And then you can also purchase a package that you can't consume on site, either in the form of a bottle of vodka or a growler of beer, and you can take that with you. Um, and this is something that I think is actually 
you know, popular and you know, well regulated. Um, and I, the only other thing that I would add is that two pints of beer is a, has a significant mind altering mind altering effect on the consumer, and and it, you know. And I think we take it seriously, and I, and I think that we are taking the, these proposed regulations seriously as well. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Now you do what they told 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 you. So I have Mr. Tacky next, and then Davies and Gray. I was going to um, move to amend line 69 through 71, and it was just to be to strike number five, as I think that they don't need to take another harder look on whether or not having a separate room is a sufficient protection. That's basically what we had discussed, and we think it already does contain strong protections. So rather than reconsidering and looking at this separate room area for employees. Let me see if you get a second. Oh, yeah, second. Is there a second for removing section five, which is lines... 69 through 71. I'll second for discussion, I guess. It's been seconded by Mr. Gray, so I'm sorry, Mr. Tech, continue your explanation, please. <laughs> summed it up, actually. Okay. Um, Mr. Roberts, and any on the amendment? So I'd like to point out, if we're going to have employee oversight of consumption, if they're going to be evaluating uh, their customers to make sure that they're not, they haven't gone too far you know, they're going to use some level of discretion. It's probably not going to be through a window, looking at them through a window into a smoke-filled room, trying to make that decision. At some point, they have to come into contact. They're going to have to enter that room. They may be able to stay in the other room most of the time, but they're going to have to enter that room. So I don't think that that is sufficient. Um, I'm not sure how to get to sufficient, but I think it's an issue that definitely needs to be thought about, and so I think this paragraph is important. Thank you. And then I have Mr. Cooper and then Mr. Tacky. Yeah, I think that Mr. Roberts kind of summarized. I, the question I have had about this is if you have employees who are tasked with monitoring somebody and their consumption, but they're monitoring through a window, you know, how, how that works and how that actually allows them to be cognizant of how much a person has consumed and whether or not they have consumed too much or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's like I think about a bar situation. The bartender doesn't just uh, shovel people off to a back room. They're constantly observing the patrons in a bar um, <laughs> and, and walking around. And I think, you know, going to the smoke-free workplace issue, I think that ultimately if the state does adopt a smoke-free workplace, that will provide bartenders and bars that serve alcohol a smoke-free workplace as well. So, you know, it, it's, just, it's just something to think about. Does that really protect workers? Are they, or are they going to have to go um, – into the room where people are are um, smoking cannabis, and I don't, maybe you you've been involved in the process. Perhaps maybe you know the answer to that about how that protects. Um. Well, I mean, if that's back to me, <coughs> Mr. Tacky, you're next. Um. So the way the the current regulation is written, it says that it has to have a ventilation system that removes all visible smoke. So it's not a smoke filled room, as uh, Mr. Roberts had uh, illustrated. It's actually going to be clear so you could see everybody and there is a you know a window then for being able to observe individuals and in their behaviors and how they're acting to pick up on whether or not someone's over consumed something but i've been to several bars where yeah i get my bar my drinks right there from the bartender but then i go up into a separate room where nobody really walks by or comes back and checks on you so um 
I don't think that this section is, is necessary because I do think that that would be an adequate separation for employees. Any other comments or discussion, Mr. Roberts, on the amendment? I guess I'd also mention that, you know, if something goes on, some ruckus happens, and somebody has to intervene, that they're going to have to enter that room. And so that needs to be taken into consideration. That's going to be employee of some type. Okay. Any other discussion on this amendment? Seeing none, clerk, please call the roll. Mr. Tacky? Yes. Mr. Roberts? No. Mr. Davies? No. Mr. Cooper? No. Mr. Quist? No. Mr. Satley? No. Mr. Gray? Yes. Mr. Lawrence? No. Ms. Dodge? No. Would anyone like to change their vote? Seeing none? 2-7. It fails 2-7. We're back to the main motion as amended. And my list, let's see, Mr. Davies, I have you next, I believe. Um, I got, You're done? Mr. Mr. Gray? Well, yeah, I, you know, honestly, I'm torn on this resolution. I, I, listening to all the testimony tonight from the public and from the assembly members, um, you know, I sponsored this again to try to find some middle ground. I think we're having a hard time finding it. Um, I, I would be happy if it just uh, clarified the local control point. Honestly, I think the rest could be handled with the local control clause of this um, when and if that time comes we're going to have that discussion again um, just a couple other points um, something that kept coming up that's, that I keep hearing is that the marijuana control board is industry dominated there's only two positions that are industry representatives and the chair of that is a staunch prohibitionist so I don't I don't see that board as being uh, industry dominated in any way um, from the Associated Press September 6th 2017 so Dotna, Alaska, this chairman of the board that regulates Alaska's legal marijuana industry, is defending himself against conflict of interest questions. Peter Milarnik told Soldotna radio station KSRM he was involved in getting to the local ballot measure that would bar marijuana businesses outside of cities in the Kenai Peninsula borough. He said he does not believe that is a conflict. Malarik, who chairs the Marijuana Control Board and is the police chief of Soldatna, participated in a call-in program in which some callers raised questions about that. His involvement in signature gathering prompted concerns during his confirmation vote before the legislature, though he won confirmation easily. Borough voters will decide the ballot measure next month. Malarik is one of five members of the CCB. The board currently is made up of two industry members and members representing public safety, rural Alaska, and public health. Malarnik holds the public safety seat. Harriet Milks, an assistant attorney general who advises the board, told the Alaska Journal of Commerce last year that behavior away from the board is irrelevant unless a board member stands to personally gain from an issue on which the board is acting. Hmm. Gain is more than monetary. Very interesting. Will Peter Malarnik gain, personally gain if cannabis is outlawed? In his moral mind, Absolutely. Right there. Conflict of interest. You know, designated driver issue, um, they don't have to be in the same building where this is being consumed. That's, that's not, we're not saying that designated drivers are going to be in the same room where people are consuming if this was to come to pass. And then the thing about tourism, it's not just tourists that not that don't necessarily have a legal place to consume. There are thousands of renters in the borough and city um, that, that quite possibly 
as it stands right now, could be breaking their lease or rental agreements with a landlord that do not that are not legally consuming in a any property that they are renting or leasing. So that's that's it's not just about tourism. Um, there there are quite possibly a lot of people that are not having a legal place to consume in this this borough and city. So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, Mr. Quist and then Mr. Tacky. Uh, I would just like to point out that this has been a very open and deliberative process and in no way seems like ramrodding to me. Thank you. Mr. Tacky. Um, I was just going to say my piece on how I'm going to vote for this uh, resolution. Um, I obviously want the borough to take on on-site consumption and endorse actual regulations for on-site consumption, which this doesn't doesn't do. It doesn't say we want an on-site consumption regulations passed. It merely states, here's some comments and concerns. And part of my concerns with, hey, here's more changes we want, is that that has been like the way to keep kicking this can down the road and keep altering it and changing the regulations enough so that way they never have to be adopted. So the way it's written right now, I, I would have to vote no for it. Okay, Mr. Davies. You know, I, I guess I, I uh, reject having other people tell me what my motives are here. So I want to tell you what my motive is, and it's very consistent with what Mr. Cooper said earlier, is that I think, for one thing, there is an open comment period right now. So we're not trying to kick this down the, down the road. We're just we're trying to get in under the wire to make our comments while the, while the comment period's open. Uh, on the other hand, by doing that, I'm not, I don't think that we're taking a position one way or the other on whether we want to have on-site consumption. And, I'm, and I have my own opinions on that, but I'm not sharing them right now because I don't think that's what this resolution is about. This resolution is about actually responding to that open comment period that's there right now and mm -hmm. saying, if you do this, then here's some things that we would like you to consider in the process of doing it. We're not saying you should do it or not, but if you do it, these are some things. And, and of course, I think I agree. The strongest thing in here is that we want to reiterate the fact that, and I agree it's a little redundant, but I think it's a little redundancy in a lot of kinds of communications is not untoward, uh, that we want local control. That's the, you know, when it comes, if and if it ever comes back to us, we want to be able to be able to have uh, meaningful discussion at the local level as to how we regulate it. So that's my motivation here. Thank you, Mr. Cooper. Thanks. As always, Mr. Davies says it better than I can, so I endorse Mr. Davies' statement. Um, and, and I guess I'll just add to that. I, I think that we are in a unique position because we have been, uh, this borough has been dealing with uh, cannabis uh, for a lot longer than other parts of the state. We've dealt with it in depth. We've learned a lot from that. And I think that some of these comments distill what we've learned and what we've heard. And so I think we should take that opportunity to provide comments. This is an open comment period for making rules that are gonna to apply to everybody across the state. We know something, we should provide what we know. So, thank you. Okay, my list is Mr. Roberts. Uh, well, everyone knows how I'm gonna vote, but I uh, certainly agree that comments should be made and I will, will be turning mine in. And uh, um, hopefully they'll 
take them into consideration. Uh, as I pointed out at the very beginning, I'm kind of didn't like the tone, though I recognize the argument. If it was said differently, it have less chance of passing. That's how these things work sometimes. But uh, anyway, I just want to point that out that um, definitely can still make comments till tomorrow to the uh, state board, anyone who wants to do that. Clerk, I think we're ready to vote on the resolution as amended. Madam Chair, Mr. Cooper. Yes. Mr. Quist. Yes. Mr. Davies. Yes. Mr. Tacky. No. Mr. Roberts. No. Mr. Gray. Yes. Mr. Satley. No. Mr. Lawrence. Yes. And Ms. Dodge. Yes. Would anyone like to change their vote? Seeing none. 6-3. It's adopted 6-3. Far North Tokers, this day in history. Guy Fox Day. Ten facts about Guy Fox from 10factsabout.co.uk. They should know, right? Here we go. On 5th of November every year, people all over Britain become pyromaniacs for the evening, lighting bonfires and setting off fireworks. This annual tradition is a way of remembering the events of November 5th, 1605 when a plot to blow up the Houses of Parliament, killing all inside it, including the king, was foiled. One of the most famous conspirators of what became known as the gunpowder plot was Guy Fawkes. Here are ten facts about him. Fact one, Guy Fawkes or Guido Fawkes. That can't be Guido, Guido, right? Maybe, who knows? As he also liked to be known, was born on April 13, 1570 in Stonegate, New York. He was educated at St. Peter's School in York. Fact two, Guy Fawkes was born a Protestant but converted to Catholicism when he was about 16. At the time, religious teaching was dictated by the Church of England, which would not tolerate Roman Catholicism. Therefore, it was difficult for followers of the Catholic faith that worship freely in England. Guy Fawkes and the other members of the gunpowder plot were all Catholics, and the plot was a response to the repression they experienced. Another reason for wanting to kill the king was that King James I was Scottish. Up to 1603, England and Scotland were ruled as two separate nations with two different monarchs. After the death of Queen Elizabeth I, King James, who was then King James VI of Scotland, was next in line to the throne of England. Therefore, he became the first monarch to rule both nations, a situation which would later go on to create what is now the United Kingdom. Some English people were opposed to being under the rule of a Scot, so the gunpowder plot would have put an end to that. Fact 3. Guy Fawkes was an experienced soldier. Although he didn't fight for his country, he fought for the Spanish against the Dutch in the Netherlands. This is where he gained experience with explosives and also where he decided to call himself Guido. Or Guido. Fact 4. Although Guy Fawkes wasn't the main conspirator in the gunpowder plot, he probably had one of the most important roles. A cellar below the House's Parliament was rented by the members of the plot, which was filled with 36 barrels of gunpowder. There was enough gunpowder that would have completely destroyed the building and caused damage to buildings within a one-mile radius of it. Guy Fawkes was in charge of guarding the gunpowder, and if he hadn't have been caught, would have been the person that lit it. It is claimed that although there was enough gunpowder to cause quite considerable damage, the gunpowder had actually decayed, and if it had been lit, would not have exploded. Ironically, the cellar that the gunpowder was stored and the Houses of Parliament themselves were later destroyed in a fire in 1834. That fire was accidental. 
fact five. During his involvement in the gunpowder plot, Falks called himself John Johnson and gave his name when arrested. Fact six. Despite being involved in what is basically a terrorist plot, Guy Fawkes was named the 30th Greatest Britain in a poll conducted by the BBC in 2002. Fact 7. Shortly after being discovered, Fawkes was taken to the King's bedchamber to explain why he wanted to kill him and blow up Parliament. Fawkes calmly ex- answered that he regarded the King as a disease since he had been excommunicated by the Pope. He also explained that he needed such a huge quantity of gunpowder to blow you Scotch beggars back to your own native mountains. Fact 8. Under torture, it took up to four days for Guy Fawkes to admit to his part in the gunpowder plot and give names of other people involved in it. His signature on the written confession after torture, which is still held by the National Archives, was very faint and weak. A signature on a confession written eight days later shows his name, which he wrote as Guido. Much more clearly, Fawkes and other people involved in the gunpowder plot were tried on January 31, 1606, and then hung, drawn, and quartered in the old palace yard in Westminster. Falks leaped from the gallows when being hanged to escape the unpleasantness of being drawn and quartered. Contrary to popular belief, Falks wasn't thrown onto a bonfire. That only happens to straw dummies made of him since. Fact 9. An uninhabited island to the north of Santa Cruz Island in the Galapagos Islands is named Isla Guy Falks, or Guy Falks Island. Who knows why? Maybe he planned to escape there? Fact 10. Guy was once a term for an ugly, repulsive person, in reference to Guy Fawkes. Straw effigies made of Guy Fawkes and burned to remember the gunpowder plot are also known as Guy's. In the 17th century, live cats were stuffed into the effigies to make it sound like Guy was screaming as being burned. Over time, Guy began to be used as a term for a man, possibly as a half-meant insult, and is a word in common use today. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Hey, hey, thank you for joining us on Barn Old Token. You can listen to more episodes on SoundCloud and BarnoldTokers.com. Like me on Facebook. Search Mid Token. Here's Token. Save.